By way of introduction, this episode is more or less about dysfunctionality. How the rich and famous get themselves embroiled in various situations that spin out of control. And how the nemesis team, using their street sense, contacts, and general abilities, help solve those situations for these clients. So episode three should be entitled Dysfunctionality. Dysfunctionality, abnormal or unhealthy interpersonal behavior or interaction within any group. A video camera view is watching an obviously wealthy man walking around on his own in a grocery store. He casually looks around before he takes several cans of sardines and furtively places them into his side pocket. Glancing around once more, he starts towards the open exit, towards the attached mall. He bypasses both the auto pay station and the bored-looking cashier. It's late evening, so the store is quiet. As the man steps out into the mall, he feels a hand on his shoulder. He turns and looks at the irate-looking store manager. In the Nemesis operations room, Jody is minding the 9-8 hotline. The operations whiteboard looks clear and Jody is practicing her putting across a large area in front of the board. As she misses yet another putt, the 9-8 phone rings. Jody looks up at the operational clock above the whiteboard and grabs the phone on its second ring. Jody speaking, may I help you? Yes, Jody. Hi, it's Mr. Cameron. You know me, correct? Certainly, sir. How can I help you? Silly, really. I'm at a function and my brother-in-law, Mr. Terry, has just text messaged me. Yes, sir. We know Mr. Terry. Oh, good. It seems as if one of my managers has just detained Mr. Terry in one of our stores, the one on Lime Street. Apparently, for shoplifting. Jodie's grinning, smothers the handpiece to quieten her amusement. Then she says, Yes, Mr. Cameron, I know the store. My guy can be there in about five minutes. Who is the manager there? I think his name's Borg. Okay, so I have that. I'm sure we can resolve this misunderstanding. I'll have your brother-in-law call you once we've sorted it all out. Now you can go back to your party, sir. Sorry, what was your name again? It's Jody, sir. But Cameron's gone. We see the rather large Peter entering the small office at the back of the grocery store. He bursts through the door. Jody told him to make a show. And he almost fills the small office. This causes the two occupants already there to crowd closer together. The small man is in a white coat adorned with his name 
and the company logo. The other man is bigger, but at this stage much more humble. He has the appearance of a child caught doing wrong by a parent. Peter states, good evening, sir. Can I ask you, Mr. Terry, to step outside while I have a word with Mr. Borg? As Mr. Terry tries to slip out through the door, Borg takes hold of Mr. Terry's arm, holding him back from leaving. Mr. Terry pulls his arm away and manages to extradite himself from the cluttered office. Peter watches as Mr. Terry takes a seat just outside before turning to deal with the irate store manager. Mr. Borg looks shocked. Just who the hell are you? When I called head office, I asked them for permission to have this man arrested for theft. As incidentally, the company policy insists. And instead of the police, I get you. Do I have to call 911 myself? The store manager is welling up with anger at being challenged for following company policy. I could assure you, Mr. George, says Peter, we are taking this incident very seriously, but now I have a problem. You have now illegally confined this gentleman and I've just witnessed you assault him. If the police were to arrive here now, I'm afraid you're the one who'd be arrested and that likely could cost you your job and possibly your pension. The store manager is looking perplexed. He seems lost for words as Peter continues. But, Mr Borg, your excellent awareness is admirable. And I know the area manager, Mr Sticks, will be reaching out to you first thing in the morning to congratulate you on your excellent conduct. But now, can I be of any further assistance to you before I take this rich shithead away to his very annoyed boss? Again, Borg is looking happy, but sad at the good news on his overall commentary, but he's still confused. Fair enough, you can have him. If he is told never to come back to this store again. And can I have your name or a business card? I don't even know who you are. I also want to put that guy's name on our barred from the store file. Peter reaches forward with a hug. Glass Mr. Borg on both shoulders and then gives him a crushing handshake. Listen, it's been great meeting such a professional as your good self. As for names, I'm afraid you'll have to take that up with Mr. Sticks. I'm bound, as you can imagine, by a pretty tight privacy policy. So wait for the call tomorrow from Mr. Sticks. You've represented the company so well, and I'm thoroughly impressed. Oh, uh, on that note, I need the DVD covering the CCTV because of these damn policy covering privacy. In silence, Borg reaches into the DVD player and extracts the DVD. He hands it to Peter. With that done, Peter eases his big frame out of the office and touches Mr. Terry's shoulder. Mr. Terry rises and walks side by side with Peter, out of the store and away. Down in the underground parking area, Peter is leaning through the window of a, con of a Bentley Continental GT. Talking to Mr. Terry. So all done, so maybe you should call your brother-in-law and set the record straight. I have the surve surveillance disc and that will be destroyed shortly.
Also, I think any further shopping there is probably inadvisable. Terry seems happy in his luxury vehicle. He reaches up and shakes Peter's hand and smiles. Peter, can I offer you anything? You were just excellent. I owe you big time. A word of praise from your brother-in-law would be perfect. We need all the friends we can get in high places. And he's way up there, as we both know. So good night, sir. Drive safely. The Bentley purrs away out of the parking lot. Peter turns with a broad grin on his face. Maybe this will save my sad black ass with the ladies. I needed some points. Now I seem to have scored a few. Kathy is once again sitting in Alan Beatty's outer office. She's holding a bone china teacup. It seems to make her nervous. She's looking to put it down somewhere, keep it safe. It looks expensive. Molly, Alan's attractive, immaculately dressed assistant, bounds over to Kathy and takes the cup burden out of her hands. Molly looks sympathetically at Kathy. Yes, I hate those things. He says it makes the tea taste better from a proper cup. But washing these things terrifies me. As Molly takes the cup out of the hands of Kathy, Kathy looks at Molly and smiles. They are very comfortable together. They have history through Molly's screwed up son, Andrew. How's Andrew? asks Kathy. Is he with you or his crazy dad? Molly starts to answer and the buzzer sounds at her desk. Oh, he's okay. We're ready for you to go in right now. I'll put those damn cups away. Maybe we can chat when you've finished. Kathy stands facing Molly who's holding the precious cup with both hands. Kathy leans forward and very lightly kisses Molly on the lips. Molly almost drops the cup and saucer, which Kathy has to quickly steady in Molly's hands. They both smile as Kathy heads into Alan's office. And Molly heads into the small kitchen beside her office. She's grinning all the way, like a Cheshire cat. Alan stands as Kathy enters his plush office. He walks towards her and provides her with a big hug. Kathy isn't used to hugs, let alone two in as many minutes. But she seems okay with both events. Alan talks first. So here we are again, never a dull moment with you, Miss Kitchen. Did you catch up with Molly? Her son is being awkward again. Can you please see what you can do for her? I know it's annoying, but Molly is my sole support network these days. I don't need her distracted. But no rough stuff, okay? Kathy smiles as she sits down into the comfortable couch overlooking the city. It's a magnificent office, a combination of old world memorabilia and modern chic furniture. No, Mr. Beatree, I'm just a lady trying to hack a path through this jungle life of mine. No rough stuff, the talk of which is unknown to me. 
Oh, stop. You know it's what the sort of thing that you do. The Molly stuff is just diligence, okay? Now, what do I owe the pleasure of your company? Well, Mr. Beatry, you remember the pre-suicide up at Bickley? I believe it seems that there will be some legal action by the priest's family. He has a high-profile family who are determined to investigate the circumstances. Of course, that's not good for us. We will be the people who delivered him to his death, of course. And what was the fellow's name again? Father Graham, sort of mid-forties. Seems to think he's from way up north somewhere. The family may be or was in mining. So Felix, the family name. Listen, not to put too fine a point in it, I don't think this is an issue. I do know the family somewhat remotely. I doubt that we want all these side issues arising during any investigation. I gather he is guilty of those horrible things the press attributed to him. But the real issue is to advise the church on how to settle this matter without any fuss. That's right, Alan. But can I just say that the rehab center up at Bickley was one very spooky place. Our guys couldn't have got out of there fast enough. Alan gives Kathy a fierce look. Okay, says Kathy. The church is a very big client, the Episcopal Corporation. They pay well, they pay promptly. We should have to get past this, I know. I do have one guy who ever seems to be conflicted by that. He's been sidelined away from it. Apart from him, we're good. So I take it you'll make some calls for us? Alan gets up with difficulty from the couch. Kathy offers help. Alan looks tired and grateful. Thanks, my beautiful samurai. Yes, I'll make some calls. Forget about this. But watch out for the man with the conscience. Such people can be very dangerous. Kathy leaves the office, walks past Molly's desk. Molly jumps up and follows her. Again, Kathy bypasses the bank of elevators and moves to the stairwell entry door. Molly pulls Kathy around by the shoulders and looks expectantly at her. Kathy gl- glances up towards the video camera tucked into the corner of the lobby. Molly shrugs. Kathy exits the lobby via the stairwell and she's gone. But Mothy- Molly looks very happy as she heads back into her office. Later that same day, Kathy's back in the office along with a couple of other employees that look at a news feed running across the operation room flat screen. This, the story running is about another firebombing of a Klein coffee house in Moscow. Only this time there are casualties. The two security guards were injured when they tried to re-enter the store after they woke up in the back of their car with the store in flames. In addition, an unnamed source is saying the coffee chain's senior manager has been arrested in Moscow, charged with arson. 
the Klein shares have plummeted on the Nasdaq. Stood watching the story together, a Kathy and Vlad. Kathy asked Vlad, what's Russian for I told you so? Vlad, can this be pulled back? Do you think surely if Klein agrees now, it's a win for the Russians for sure? Before Glenn, before Vlad can answer, the hotline rings and Felix grabs the phone. Felix speaking. But he's cut off before he can say anything more. Felix listens intently. He looks at Kathy and Vlad and indicates his hair is on fire. I'm sorry, Mr. Client. I'm not sure where Kathy is right now, nor Vlad. But I will reach out for them. Where can they reach you? Okay, sir, the office then... And they have your mobile, right? Okay, so I'll hunt one of them down. Felix turns and faces Kathy and Vlad. He takes his cue from his nemesis colleagues. All three smile and then laugh. Vlad laughing. If you wrote this stuff, no one would believe it. They didn't do the deal. Talk about arrogant and stupid. Kathy offers up that she'll call Mr. Coffee in a few minutes. We can let him get even more wound up. Vlad, is it dumb for you to revisit Moscow? It's not dangerous or dumb. It's pointless. I won't be blamed, but they'll wonder why I couldn't get the Klein people to agree. You know, Vlad, this guy Klein was keen on sorting this out, but he has bigger problems at home with his board. They wouldn't want the government breathing down their neck over some illegal deal in Russia. Now, how would your guys feel about giving your guy Grigori or someone a seat on the board, a big fat fee, and free trading shares? And the prestige, adds Vlad, of being alongside these fat cats currently on the board. Yeah, we'll try that. It's not illegal, the optics are terrific, and the fucking bombing stop. I know your rolling ball theory but we're dealing with the ones that are on top of it. Maybe they'll get flattened down the road, but we'll do a deal with the new people. Now it's purely a lawyer thing. And can we avoid backdoors and upsetting people at the very top? You mean Putin? Sure, he's above all else, a pragmatist, and he has to benefit from this in some way, shape or form. Okay, I'll give Mr. Coffee a call. Let's try and get him to solve this with a nudge and a wink from us. early in the morning. Trevor is sat in the area in the company van. He's looking down the street, observing a dozen or so police vehicles cluttered around one particular house. As he's texting the office to let them know, he spots a plainclothes female detective walking towards him. Trevor carefully pulls out his driver ID and winds down the window. 
The angry-looking lady proceeds around the back of Trevor's van and approaches him from the rear. As he rolls down the window, Trevor speaks first as he holds out his ID. Trevor is relaxed. The The detective isn't. Good morning, detective. How can I help you? By telling me who the fuck you are and what the fuck you're doing here at this time of day. Trevor slowly winds his window back up, taps the record button on his phone and waits for two minutes. He then winds his window back down again, looking straight forward and avoiding eye contact with the belligerent detective. He says, detective, one more use of foul language or any rudeness on your part, the window goes back up. Okay, I could fucking arrest you right now Trevor winds the window back up and sits waiting. There's a tap on the window. The detective is shrugging an apology of sorts. She smiles. Trevor runs the window back down. The detective asks him, I'm sorry, buddy. It's been a long night. Everybody's on my ass about this thing down the road. Just tell me who you are, pretty please. What's your first name, detective? Well, now that you ask, it's Susan. Yours? I'm Trevor. Nice to meet you. Sorry about your night, but that's why you guys get all the big bucks and us drivers get paid shit. Oh, so you're a limo driver. Correct. I just finished a late job. Now I'm hanging around waiting for my next early morning airport run. What's going on down the road then? You'll know soon enough if you read the papers or turn on your radio. So how long have you been here? I'm interested to know if you've seen any weird shit, people hanging around, that sort of stuff. You tell me what happened and I'll tell you if I saw anything interesting or unusual. Quid pro quo, Miss Susan? Okay, smartass, it's apparently a murder-suicide of a couple of rich folk. It will be on the news, so no harm in you knowing that much now. Now, is there anything interesting? Please and thank you. I really don't need to get into this by ending up as a witness. My lady boss will cut off my dick if I can't do my next pickup, but there was something strange. I like the sound of your boss, but tell me what you mean by strange. Trevor continues, if I have the right house, there was a taxi parked on their drive earlier. I thought it was odd because the driver wasn't in it. People don't usually invite taxi drivers into their homes, certainly not in this area. I think it was a Bex taxi, but it was gone on my next pass. You're quite observant for a limo guy. Susan, I'm out and about all hours. I see all sorts of things, but if it's unusual, I normally register it. This, I thought, was unusual. And you just left it like that, Trevor? You just drove on? And what should I have done, Susan? Call 911? And how would that have worked out? Dozens of alert police officers in cruisers rushing to the scene, cordoning the house off. Then they... Okay, buddy, I get your point. Do you have anything else for me that could help us with our investigation? I might have, but for you only. And I will have to check, but how would you like a video that shoots right down the street? Across the street? No, they aren't clients of ours, but maybe further up the street. It could show the taxi type and place, either arriving or leaving, if it came from the north. You're kidding, right? No, Susan, I'm not kidding, but I need to check with a couple of people. Maybe later today, but you've got to promise to keep us out of the limelight. Who 
Who the fuck is us, Trevor? Trevor starts to wind his window up. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I talk like this all the time. My mum hates it. I asked her at breakfast the other day to pass the fucking marmalade. You live with your mummy, detective? No, dickhead. My mum's not well, so I stay over occasionally. Trevor laughing. Okay, I get it. So maybe a video. Can I get a look of it if it exists? And if it shows anything? I'll have to get permission, says Trevor. I'll WhatsApp it to you if there's anything on it. You're familiar with WhatsApp, right? Look, here's my car with my WhatsApp on the back. We aren't supposed to give it out to members of the public, so please keep it to yourself. Listen, Susan, if this video is useful, you must ask the homeowner direct. Just a casual knock on the door. Can we look? No mention of the good-looking limo driver, Trevor. Trevor, if this works, I'll look like a superhero. We would never have thought of looking at a video from that far away. Is it any good? It's high def. System installed by, wait for it, me. Okay, buddy, I should arrest you now for lying to the police. You're not a limo guy. Who the hell are you? Who are we and who is us? I think this needs further investigation, my friend. Susan, I'll help, but off the record, okay? I have your card. I'll check the video later, and if it shows anything, I'll flip it to you. Your superhero status depends on me, so it will cost you a coffee. So say, stay safe, detective. Maybe I'll be in touch. Trevor winds up his window with a little wave. He three-point turns the van and goes off back on his patrol. Jody has stood at the entrance to a very plush hotel bar. It's a busy place, a very well-heeled crowd, lots of noisy chatter. She's searching for someone. Finally, she spots the, a couple at the bar. The female is facing Jody. The male member has his back to her. The woman looks at Jody and raises her eyebrows. The woman leans forward and whispers to the man who turns and glares at Jody. The man gets off his bar stool and advances on Jody, who slides back into the hallway. The man follows. He's late sixties, distinguished looking, well dressed. He speaks to Kathy when they're out of sight of the bar. Man. And what can I do for you, young lady? What are you doing drinking in this bar, sir? Or any bar with a hooker that I arrange for you? Do you know that two thirds of the men in that bar have fucked her? And everyone, everyone in that bar knows who you are, right? Now, sir, I need you to go through that exit door down the end of the corridor, get in the car there with Felix, and he'll take you to wherever you want to go. Young lady, I believe you work for me. I won't have you talking to me that way. What's wrong with a quick drink with Fiona? It's just been sex up until now, and I thought she might like a... Mr. Crabtree, you know her as Fiona. That's not her real name, by the way. She does not want to have a drink with you. She has other clients waiting for her. She has no interest in being on the front page of Frank magazine with you. 
There is no such thing as good publicity when you're a prostitute. Okay, you've made your point. I just thought it would be more gentlemanly to offer her a drink. I don't even pay her. Sir, it's all looked after. Please just go and grab the car. Felix is waiting for you. Mr. Crabtree is looking very sheepish. He gives Jody a little hug and then hurries along the corridor and barges through the exit doors and disappears. Jody talks into her radio. Felix, two clicks when you've got him. Jody touches her earpiece under her hair, acknowledging the two clicks. Then she moves back to the bar doorway. Again, she smiles and looks at the hooker, who still sat at the bar. The lovely head-turning lady dismounts the bar stool and joins Jody in the hallway. The hooker. Thank fuck you came here. How did you know? We know the bartender and the concierge. They both called us. The staff here are really good to us. So we got a heads up that he was going off plan. What could I do? He was adamant. He just wanted to play Romeo, which isn't good is this fuck everything up, Jody? No, no, not at all, sweetie. Maybe we need a new hotel, but it's all good. He shit himself when I mentioned Frank Magazine. He almost ran out of the door. But you're getting your money, right? He didn't know he was paying you. What a joke. No, no, they pay fine. Great rates. On the nose every time. Hey, I'd love to have a coffee with you one day. I need to know if you're still seeing Dangerous Dave. I might need his help. Sure, call me anytime, but get out of here as fast as you can in case Frank Magazine do show up. The two ladies hug and kiss and part company. Jody pops back into the bar and palms a generous tip to the bartender. As she exits through the hotel side door, the hooker having left through the front. late evening and Kathy is popping into a local convenience store to pick up some very basic items. Milk, bread, cheese, magazine she grabs. As she pays, a figure slides into the store and moves along the shelves. Kathy is noticed in the glass behind the cashier. She seems to ignore it. She pays and exits the shop. As she exits, she sidesteps into the alley next to the store. It's cluttered with store-type junk and two major garbage cans. She squats down and waits, watching a reflection across the street of the front of the convenience store. Kathy's talking to herself, well, whoever you are, you've not done this sort of thing before, so let's just see who you are, buddy. The person thought to be watching Kathy emerges from the store. He is confused at Kathy's disappearance and stands in the bright streetlight, second-guessing where she went so quickly. But as he moves off, Kathy knows who the mysterious man is. Again, she's talking to herself. So here I am, hiding from this dirtbag once again after all these fucking years. The man following Kathy is seen full-faced as he rushes across the street, looking desperately in every possible place for Kathy. The full-faced view confirms it. It's Kathy's father who's shadowing her.
Trevor and Detective Susan are in the squash club coffee shop. Both are in squash kit. They have their rackets, bags over their back of their chairs. They both look tested and sweaty. Susan looks rather more attractive as a squash player than a cop. Trevor looks very pleased with himself. Trevor lets Susan talk first. So you've played a lot in your day, but not much recently. You have great technique, Trevor, but you're unfit, my friend. This is a fit bastard's game, Mr. Nemesis. Trevor looks startled as she says this, but tries to conceal it. Nemesis, says Trevor. Oh, come on, stop playing me for a fool. Your vehicle was a rental. It's a decent tactic, but not when we come calling. The folks at Budget Rental gave you up in a heartbeat. Listen, I'm not worried there will be a breach from me, okay? I owe you big time, my preppy friend. Trevor looks like his world has fallen on his head and he has good reason to be scared. Trevor, this is a big break for me. On a hunch, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, I knocked on the door away from the scene along with several others. But this one I randomly chose and came across some key information, i.e. a partial plate of a Bex taxi on their video system. Now I'm a fucking hero. Your little online look into their system will never be discovered. You may be fucked if it gets out, but I will be even more fucked and I'll be back in uniform issuing parking tickets. Trevor is continuing to sweat long after his squash game and it's not the physical exertion that's causing the sweat to flow. Susan, you have no idea what my boss will do if this gets out. She will cut my balls off and use them for bookends. Seriously, I must stay off the record. Susan's looking sympathetically at Trevor. I like the sound of your boss. Can you tell me what her fanoo snoo ank is? Trevor looks confused. What her fanoo snoo what is? Susan's laughing. Trevor, I can see you've never been in the military. And that I like. But the military love their use of mnemonics. Letters for phrases. What fanu means is first name unknown. Sanu means last name unknown. Ank means address not known. But I was kidding. I'm not going to chase her down. But she does sound like one cool sister. Trevor's looking kind of relieved. He looks at his phone and it beeps, but he ignores it. He reaches down to grab his sports bag. He makes, he makes to stand up, but Susan grabs his arm and pulls him down. Susan's now smiling broadly. Was that work? If it is cool, but anything, to can go, anything else can go fuck itself. I owe you big time, buddy. And this chick knows how to pay her debts. Which is the nearer, your place or mine? Trevor's trying to conceal his glee and increasing excitement. Well, as it happens, my place is just over the road. It's a bit messy, but it cleans up nice. And you can see it if you want. I'm afraid you'll have to get used to my phone. I'm a bit attached to it. It's my work. It goes on all the time. Susan leaning over and quickly kisses Trevor on the lips. Yeah, well, let's not upset your bitch boss, who I must say sounds delightful. Trevor leads Susan away out of the coffee bar and across the street. Susan's arm snakes around his back. Trevor's smiling.
Kathy is sat cross-legged on the floor of her apartment. She's staring into her laptop. She's talking via teleconference with her younger sister Julie and her twin brother Brad. The screen view is a three-way split using the secure system PX. Julie's talking. So let me get this straight. He followed you into a store on your way. Yes, darling, that's what I said. Ladies, let's just chill. This is not the big bad wolf we're worried about here. It's a broken down, aging drunk who, Kathy jumps in, wants a handout, I'm sure. Julie poses the question, do we owe that fuck anything at all? Kathy, can't we go legal on him? Brad, who's done a year of law school at this time, says from a legal perspective, stopping him will be hard. He can't defend himself legally and there has only been one actual incident. Kathy's laughing. Brad, you are correct. I see that going into law school was a good move for you. Brad quickly says, thanks, babe. I'll never be able to stop embarrassing Mrs. Tough Guy, says Julie. Okay, I think if I see him again, I'll just confront him and ask him to go back up north and stay away from us. If he's an asshole, I'll get him arrested by some cop friends I have. But he won't do anything, I'm sure. Maybe he'll get the message. And what? Kathy, guys, I'm not going to hurt him. Or before you say it, have anyone else hurt him. But we've gone too far now to let him come back and fuck us all up. Julie and Brad both say together, yeah, we agree. So Kathy says, thanks guys. Both of you keep an eye out. If he jumps you, give him my cell number and I'll set up a meeting with him. But other than that, just carry on as normal. Okay, guys, I gotta go. My other phone's ringing. Kathy hangs up, closes her laptop, bangs her head with both her hands. She's clearly struggling with the situation that troubles her. Had it been a client, she would have been handling it easily. But with her siblings involved and her dad involved, she's finding it very hard. Right then, she answers her phone. She glances at the screen and sighs. Yes, Felix, what can I do for you this splendid morning? I'm sorry, boss, but I have to text you the details, but this guy is dropping big names, including Mr. Beatry, and he's desperate to have a chat. His name is Adam Ruby, and wait for it, he's the jeweler to the rich and famous. Okay, Felix, stay on the line after you patch him through. If there's anything I need you to do, you can listen in. Sure, boss, stand by. Felix says, okay, Mr. Ruby, I have Kathy for you. Kathy, this is Mr. Ruby. He got your name for Mr. Beatree. He'd like to have a private word with you, boss. Thanks, Felix. Good morning, Mr. Ruby. How can I help you?
Later that same morning, Kathy walks into the office. She moves across in front of the operations board. She glances at it, pauses and absorbs what, going, what is going on and continues into her office. Felix looks relieved. Kathy's approval is silence. Kathy finds both Vlad and Chu, the nemesis finance guy, waiting for her. Okay, what's bugging you two? Vlad puts his hand up to try and stop Chu speaking, but the gesture fails. Chu is immune to such gestures. Chu has his unpopular dog under one arm, and the dog and Vlad seem to have developed a mutual hatred for each other. Miss Cathy, we need to discuss cash flow, payroll, and the new very expensive van that Felix can't seem to live without. Cathy ignores Chu's opening salvo. Vlad, one word, comrade. What is it you need? Chu is looking confused. Did he miss something? He looks at Cathy, then at Vlad, then back at Cathy. Vlad says, Moscow. Cathy looking at Chu. Okay, Chu, fuck off. You can come and see me in an hour, but my, but my Asian friend, you're not here to give me problems. I need answers to keep me nice and calm, which I'm not right now. Come back in six, zero minutes, okay? Chu looks at Kathy and shrugs. He, dog under arm, wanders out of the room. He leaves the door open, but Vlad steps over and closes it. He turns and smiles at Kathy. He looks at Kathy like dogs, Chu's dog looks at Chu devotedly. So my brightest of boys, what is the situation with Klein Coffee? Vlad is jumping in. First of all, why is that guy Chu even here? He's a useless piece of Vlad. Shut up. You don't get it, mate. He represents the financial success of Nemesis. Do you want your pay this month or not? Because he will make sure you get paid. He balances the books, so he has a say. You don't like him, but our Korean bank manager does like him. Okay, boss, sorry. This small company stuff still confuses me. It's not like being in a government setup. Talking of which, our, quote, government friends are very annoyed at me for not persuading Klein to set them up. Did they do the last bombing? Uh, not exactly. Meaning, says Kathy. Kathy, it's a competitor of theirs who are unaware of our negoti- negotiations with our friends. So this is now a three-way? Vlad says, yeah, sorry, sort of. What the fuck, buddy? Vlad adds, it's capitalism at its finest. So now what? If we go to climb, we need a narrative that works. Maybe if they see their traditional solutions basket didn't work, we could maybe grab some traction. Exactly, says Fred, Vlad. The smug, the smug Mr. Johnson, believe it or not, is running around Moscow, upsetting everybody treading on way too many toes. Plus, the dickhead got himself involved with an FSB lady. It seems 
there is now an ugly video of him in one of their special hotel suites. Kathy looks at Vlad, you've got to be kidding. But that's great. Klein will go nuts and yank him back right away. Exactly, boss. But we need to get this moving fast. If Klein gets caught in this gang rivalry thing, it could get very emotional. Meaning? Well, boss, they've ID'd Klein's son. They made the connection. Shit, I thought he'd fucked off back to Finland or somewhere, lad. No, boss. And he's being a bit of a dickhead. He's running around with all sorts of high-risk antics. Okay, let's go and see Klein. Away from the office, though. I'll set it up. But thinking about it, you can't be there, okay? You get us a bottom line with your guys and I can give it to Klein as an ultimatum. Vlad stands and lumbers out of the office. He shouts after her. Shoots. Chew, leave your annoying dog with Felix and get in here. You've got 15 minutes. very nice drawing room of an obviously wealthy home. There's lots of valuable artwork and objets d'art spread around the room. Jody and Kathy are sat with Mr. and Mrs. Ruby. This obviously wealthy couple look as if they're in their forties. Jody is pouring tea for them all. Jody, as she pours, asks, so this is obviously a really horrible situation. The cops can't or won't help, and your lawyers have no idea how to deal with this. But I think we can help. Can either of you add anything to what we already know? Trevor jumps in. How does Ethel contact you when she needs anything? If it's a mobile phone, who owns it? Is it yours, for example? And what is that number? Does she Skype at all? Or what's her WhatsApp number? Who does she talk to, both of you or just you? Both Mr. and Mrs. Ruby are looking blankly at Trevor. Jody looks on helplessly. Jody now is giving a shut up look at Trevor. Okay, please excuse my technical friend here. That's why Kathy asked both Trevor and I to meet with you. This is not Kathy's area, but it's Trevor's and mine. These things, these days, always have a social media component and Trevor understands that world like no other. I use him when we deal with families and ladies like you who are in distress. And frankly, your Ethel is in distress. With her mental challenges and her mental age, she is very vulnerable. So can you add anything else at all? Mrs. Ruby speaks up, quietly. Ethel's in her mid-thirties with a mental capability of a 12-year-old. She's not in care because she can cope or used to be able to cope. She had a nice little apartment just up the road from us, but now she's been gone for a month, maybe longer. Mr. Ruby adds, let's be honest, from what we know about this guy, Jake, 
She talks about him all the time and he has led her into drugs, and I mean hard drugs. We believe she's prostituting for him. He knows we are wealthy. She thinks he loves and cares for her, but obviously any normal person would see the truth of this situation. Mrs. Ruby says, Albert, you're being way too harsh. She's in trouble and she needs our help. Jody, feeling tension is rising, I think it's fair to say that she's in an abusive relationship, which is never a good thing. Do we have any idea where she is day to day and how do you folks find out about the prostitution? Albert Ruby leads the way on this information flow. A friend of Mrs. Ruby's saw her downtown. She was shocked how she looked at first. She didn't even think it was her, so she went over and said her name. She looked very startled, but then a tough-looking guy came over and told our friend to mind her own business. So our friend called us right away. But sadly, we said it wasn't our daughter. Now we feel ashamed of that. Jody sympathises. There's enough shame to spread around, but this will pass, I'm sure. We know where she is during the day then. Have you ever sent her any money? Mrs. Ruby stands up and walks around the room. She's wrestling with something. Jody and Trevor wait. They know what will happen next. Adam Ruby looks at Jody, sensing she's better informed than he is. Then he looks at his wife and asks, Well, Jackie? How could I turn her down, darling? She said Jake was going to sell her to another friend of his, as she wasn't worth. Jody jumps in. Look, I can tell you this is understandably news for you, and it's confusing, but it's odd, but this is good news all round. Adam Ruby looks shocked. How the hell can this be good news? That's crazy to say that. Before Jody answers, Trevor jumps in. Folks, if we hadn't heard from Ethel at all, it would be far harder to deal with. The fact is that Mrs. Ruby was clever enough to stay in touch, and that's awesome. That took a lot of courage. Now, when did you last physically see her, Mrs. Ruby? Adam, getting heated. Jackie, you've seen her when? Why? How? And you never told me about it, for Christ's sake. Jody picks up the conversation. Okay, folks, I'm much happier now than when we came in. We know Ethel is alive. We know where she is within reason. And she responds when you call her, Mrs. Ruby, correct? Yes, she still has the phone we gave her. She will text me a location. I'll go there with cash. And when she comes out of the alleyway, I will hand her the cash. She hugs me and goes back into the alley. I can see her so-called boyfriend, Jake, watching all the time. She looks very scared. Okay, can you scribble that number down for me? And you own the phone, right? Mr. Ruby's nodding. If we are patient and careful, we can get her back. I've no doubt of it, says Jody. All of... What you've done, Mrs. Ruby, is so important. Well done for sticking by Ethel. Some parents might well have given up. Adam and Jackie Ruby 
are hugging and whispering across from Trevor and Jody. Jody addresses the rubies. So, here's what we're going to suggest to Kathy as a solution. And I'm prepared to give it a 90% chance of success. Two things we need from you. First, as soon as she calls you, you need to call our hotline number. Jody passes the rubies two business cards with the 98 number. Kathy explains it's important that you use this number as we always answer it. They will find us right away. Sometimes we can't answer personally. It's important we know where and when the exchange is to be made as early as possible. The second thing I recommend is to find out from your personal doctor a place out of the country where Ethel can go for detox from the drugs. There are some great places in Europe. The idea is to grab her back, bring her here, not her apartment, and we will be with you all that night. Then get her off abroad somewhere the very next day. This bond with her so-called boyfriend, Jake, is very like and very real to her. We need to break that bond. Mr. and Mrs. are looking at the card in each of their hands. Mrs. Ruby grabs hold of Jody and hugs her. Mr. Ruby says, you've no idea how relieved we are that someone is actually trying to help. All we've had up to today is a bunch of reasons people, policemen and lawyers can't help us. As soon as we hear from Ethel, I'll call your office and we will chat to our family doctor. Jody slides out of the overly enthusiastic hug and asks, can I ask who your doctor is? Yes, it's Dr. Gold. Do you guys know him? Jody says, I don't think so. I'll ask Kathy when we go over all of this. I, I don't do anything without Kathy's approval. I'm sure this is a go though. Just stay calm and set the meeting. Be as normal as possible. And I'm certain Ethel will be home safe and sound shortly. Now, we should run. I'm leaving Trevor here so he can look at your security system in and around the house. And maybe he'll make a few recommendations. Jody exits the room via the side door. Trevor follows her out onto the doorstep. The two chat. Once we get back, we need to sort this fuckwad Jake out. He may well come round here searching for his meal ticket when we pull Ethel back. So tighten things up, buddy. And Trevor, you did a great thing here today. You're like a new man. Did you get laid or something? And Trevor, locate that girl's phone right away. We need to know where she is. Trevor smiles and looks pleased. But before he can comment, on the unusual praise from Jody, she's disappeared down the side of the massive house and out of sight to a car.
We're in the Nemesis meeting room. All of the usual faces are there, including Chu, the bookkeeper. There are several new faces, two men and one woman. They are older, in their early 30s. Jody is getting everyone set for the meeting with Kathy. Okay, everyone settle down, Felix. Keep an eye out for that beast ringing. I cannot stress enough, guys, especially for the newer ones, that everything we do here is confidential. I'm not privileged enough to know what the boss is going to cover, but whatever it is, pay attention and don't yell out any questions until the end. Kathy enters through the door and moves to the front of the group. The room quietens down. Kathy looks around. She's checking on the newer faces. She looks at Jody. We all good, Jody? Yes, boss, everybody's here. So, let me tell you, every so often I hold a, what a friend of mine calls a clear lower deck. It's an old naval saying for when the skipper of a warship has something to say important to the entire crew. Today is such a day. Firstly, I want to welcome the new guys. You all did well in training under Steve Cook. Thank you, Steve. Steve is known as hard but fair, right, Steve? At the back of the room, an older, tough-looking guy laughs. If you say so, boss. So welcome to Chris, Jenny, and Big Ryan. Sorry for the mystery in the recruitment process, but it's a necessary evil. I can't have anyone failing the aptitude test or even the training knowing who to be pissed off at the end. You new guys will be the ground troops. You'll be mainly covering what we call the area. That's where the bulk of our clients live. You'll get to know it well under the guidance of Jody and Felix. Kathy pauses for effect and looks around. Let's kick it off with my favorite subject, my three rules. We have them around here, and if anybody breaks them, there will be dire consequences. So someone tell me what one of those rules is. She pauses for effect. Tell us, Chu. The Korean Chu is startled to be asked. Kathy, that's not fair. I'm not operational, why do I need to know? Kathy glares at him. You're here, aren't you? So you should know. Peter, you tell us one of those rules. Peter's looking very guilty. He's worrying about the recent event with the Valdez ma maid. Well, there are three, Chew. He doesn't seem to care. He's just petting his dog that's in his lap and he looks blank. Peter pauses. The first is no white socks ever. Kathy jumps in. She laughs. That's true on pain of having your feet and ankles painted black, but it's not the three personal commitment rules. Okay, boss. One of the rules is don't be stupid. Can I nominate who tells us the other three, two rules? Kathy smiles and nods. Peter searched through the room. Tell us one of those rules, Felix, says Peter. Felix is standing next to the door. It's interesting you should ask me that, Peter, because one of them is don't be lazy. As you all know, I practically live. Jody gives Felix a long, hard look and he shuts up. Kathy continues. That's my first and final rule. What is it, Trevor? 
don't lie. Never be like, never lie. Trevor's looking a bit sheepish. Trevor hides and lie as such. So no lying, don't be stupid and no laziness, says Kathy. I'm deadly serious on these rules. We cannot fully service our great white shark type clients without a cast iron operational commitment to them and ourselves. Also, I don't need to remind the more senior members, but we work 24 seven. The phone is always on. Our crazy clients are dysfunctional day and night. Therefore, if the office tries to contact you and it can't, it's a big fucking deal. If you are needed and for some reason you cannot commit to it, tell the office that. Saying no is not a crime. Avoiding the call is. Correct, Felix? Felix mentions, again, for the more newer guys, just answer, okay? It's not always bad news and often it's a nice piece of work and you'll regret missing out on it. Kathy continues. Thanks, Felix. What he's saying is important. We are a growing company, mainly through word of mouth. Growing is good, but I never want to turn down work for want of the right type and number of staff. If we get too big, we will lose our edge, and then word of mouth works against us. That's why we need you new guys to hit the ground running and learn ASAP. Again, Kathy pauses and looks around the room. So guys, I need the new ones to stay here for a more focused chat with Jody and I. But if anyone has any questions, yell them out now. There are no questions. Okay, new guys, you stay. The rest, Felix has ordered pizzas out in the operation room. We don't very often get the chance to mix and match and talk and find out what we, we're like ships in the night. So take this time to talk to one another. When I finish in here, the new guys will come out and I want some more interaction with those. We need to know one another to be effective. Jody nods to Kathy. Jody leads everyone out except the new guys. They are gathering out in the operations room while Kathy wanders over to the door, closes it and turns to face the newcomers. Kathy's handing out some forms. So this is going to take about an hour with me. You all probably know this, but I founded the company, so no one knows it better than I do. You need to know what I want very quickly, but first read and sign these non-disclosure and confidentiality agreements. They are very specific and tight. So you, if you have any doubts on what's in there, you can just leave. Each of the newcomers pick up pens from the boardroom table and they start to read. nighttime and the area is poorly lit. There is graffiti splashed across the side and fronts of the stores on the strip mall. 
It's a red light district. The team are watching from within a van, a view that focuses across the street to a corner in a strip mall. The corner holds a small alleyway that holds numerous garbage cans and it runs back into darkness. Beside the alley entrance appears to be a figure lying on the grate covered with a cardboard box. Stood several doors down are a man and a woman bickering over a bottle. There have been a parade of cars crawling through soliciting several ladies at the end of the strip mall who are obviously sex workers. It's a mildly busy area with some prostitutes getting into and others getting out of cars. The cars continue to slowly run through the mall parking lot. The person on the floor next to the alley continues to sleep on the sidewalk. The couple are pulling and pushing over the brown bagged bottle. The strip mall lights flicker on and off. We seem to be playing a waiting game. Jody's whispering inside the van. Okay, everyone. The client has just confirmed that this is the money handover point. She's inbound in five minutes. Jenny, two clicks if you're ready to go. Jody's radio noise clicks twice. Jody, Ryan, same please. Radio noise clicks twice. Jody continues. Chris, you're with Mrs. But in the back of her bends, okay? Radio noise, click twice. Click, click. Click, click. Vlad, same with you, please. Click, click. Jody continues. So just to repeat, Ethel, the girl at risk, normally appears out of the alley. Mum doesn't get out of her car. Who would around here? She talks to her mum through the window. It's usually a two-minute chat, and her pimp, Jake, watches, just visible from within the alleyway. I guess that's the threatening tough guy thing. They wait. Life runs on in the area. Mall cars come and go. The man sleeps, and the couple stagger around arguing. The radio clicking starts in bursts of three. Jody. Okay, guys, it looks like it's showtime. Mrs. is arriving. Stand by, stand by. A large Mercedes FUV, out of place in the area, slowly drives into the mall. She parks curbside, slightly down from the alleyway. Her car can't park right by the alleyway as there is a taxi waiting there with its engine running. Both the SUV and the taxi are waiting with their engines running and headlights on. This causes three hookers at the far end of the strip mall to melt into the shadows with lots of shouting. We wait. Nice and calm, everybody, says Jody. She will be here shortly. We know she needs the money. Across the alley, we see a man's face suddenly visible. He is scanning the scene left and right. Jody sees Jake appear. Well, hello, baby. 
Do you want to dance? Heads up, guys. We're about to launch. The scan by the pimp seems to have been successful as he beckons behind him and Ethel moves past him towards the SUV. She's wearing a hooded parka that's much too big for her, but it's pulled right around her. She pauses in the light, but the man pushes her forward and he retreats into the darkness. Ethel moves to speak to her mother. As Ethel moves across the sidewalk towards the SUV, three things happen simultaneously. First, the would-be drunk lying on the floor jumps up and enters the dark alleyway. Second, the taxi driver exits the vehicle and opens the back door. Third, the argumentative couple move quickly towards Ethel. They grab her, lift her up off her feet. The couple holding Ethel carry her to the open door of the taxi. They hurl her in the back seat and jump in after her. Overall, it's a 15-second event. The doors of the taxi close with Ethel, the couple, and the driver all on board. They quickly drive away. The aftermath involves the curious-looking hookers talking to each other, but they are no more concerned about it than its disruption to its curb-crawling clients. The man who was sleeping on the grate reappears from the alleyway and wanders carelessly away. Finally, as life seems to have returned to normalcy, two black-jacketed people wearing crash helmets walk along the strip mall and into the alley. Jody, to everyone via the radio, to quote the A-Team guys, I love it when a plan comes together. Chris, Jenny and Ryan are sitting in the operations room along with Felix, Jody and Trevor. Everyone seems pleased at their success. There are several excited cross-talks happening, reliving the evening's event. Ryan, I used to think having the element of surprise was overrated, but guys, it's not. When that pimp saw me coming, he just collapsed between the garbage bins. All I had to do was to lean down and look at him. I heard the taxi leave. I just walked out. The dude didn't even speak or move. Jody agrees. Yes, surprise is always the key. Fuck, did she stink when I pushed her down in the car, says Jenny. She smelled like someone trying to fuck a pig. Felix, how would you know that? Jody turns to Chris. You okay, Chris? Chris says, yeah, but didn't we just execute a kidnapping of sorts? I only say this because I got caught up in something similar in Rome when I was with the Special Forces. We grabbed a known terrorist. The team leader on that was charged in absentia by the local Rome cops. That said, it was a very well-planned and executed executed Operation Jody. My hat is off to you.
Anyone who doubts female abilities needs to see you in action. Thanks, guys. But don't think twice about any illegality here. Unlike government, military or police, Nemesis has everyone's back, legally and financially, should you ever need it. Jody grabs a case of beer and hands one each to the team. She proposes a toast. To all our dysfunctional clients, cheers to you, one and all. Kathy is meeting with Mr. Klein at his residence. It's a typical nemesis home worth many millions of dollars. Vlad is absent. Kathy explains why to the attentive Mr. Klein. You've heard of plausible denial, I assume, sir. In what sense, Kathy? In government circles, if something needs doing, but it could have unforeseen ramifications, they operate what they call a need to know. So if the brown and smelly hits the fan, those at the top can hide behind the excuse of not knowing when in fact they actually ordered it. Now in our case, re-Russia, we need to cover our tracks before we even make those tracks. Like our meeting here today. It's ostensibly for us to review your alarm system if you're asked at any time. So no Vlad, because a Russian would be suspicious. Okay, I get it, no Vlad. No people at my office knowing, that all makes great sense. I knew you'd get it, sir. Just to finish on what I call a safety briefing. Think of how any aggressive lawyer would interrogate you if someone thought you were being unethical in your Russia dealings. So think about what you send, text, email, WhatsApp, Skype. Remember, it can all be found, downloaded and documented, and that could work against you. Electronically, we're all extremely vulnerable. Don't bother to warn anybody at the office. That would just make you suspicious. Traffic must be normal and continue that way. Just make sure you stay out of the electronic firing line. So we need a credible narrative to get this shit in Moscow drawn to a close. Vlad has the guys who can help stop it on standby, but they won't stay that way forever. And your corporate forays out there, frankly, sir, have been a disaster. Can you look at this? Kathy flips on her iPad and touches a button and swings the screen towards Mr. Klein. We hear the noise of an obvious sex act in progress. So I know it's far from pretty seeing Mr. Johnson like this, but it makes a point that your guys who can offer off operate a coffee chain here but not in a hostile environment like Moscow your head of security ex-cop no matter is now seen to be a fool and not to be respected the friendlies out there are worried about your son Mark as well they've made the connection they've watched him and his social life is pretty awful he likes the ladies and he's dangling around in a drug filled scene Mr. Klein looks shocked. Drugs? Hookers? There's no way. More video, Mr. Klein? Same as Johnson, I guess. 
Yes, but with large degrees of cocaine, which is a problem for him. He needs to come home. So I would suggest the following. Firstly, let's invite a clean Russian businessman or woman who will be invited to visit your head office. Invite that person onto your board as a non-voting member, but with all the director benefits. Remove Mark from Russia and install your new Russian director. This co-CEO must be 100% your guy. He will be manipulated or they will try to manipulate him. He needs to stay above all that. Finally, to keep our friends there happy, please can we execute this in principle within seven days and maybe ink it within the month. Does that sound okay? Klein's thinking. He gets up, walks around his living room, turns. Klein says to Kathy, and what do I get? No more bombing. Peace and quiet. And your booming coffee business, excuse the pun, will continue to grow. This is way too distracting for you. Finally, the con- finally, can you control your lawyers? We don't need them papering this thing to death. If they, are, if they slow this down, you might as well pack up in Moscow and come back home. Klein's now looking pleased. That's great, Kathy. You know this kind of insider knowledge and forward thinking is so important in my business. You'd do great as Johnson's replacement. Kathy smiles. No thanks, sir. Once this is sorted out, it will all be plain sailing for you guys. You should keep Johnson on, but you should personally warn him about his Moscow conduct. Don't show him the video or he'll wonder where it came from. Remember what we said about need to know. Plus, regarding running your security, I'm afraid I don't do boring, which is what it would become sooner rather than later. Klein holds his hand out to Kathy. They smile and shake and move towards the front door. Just to continue with the narrative, Mr. Klein, I think your security system does need a tweak here and there. So I get our tech guy, Trevor, to make some detailed notes when he drops by. I'll have him talk to Mrs. Klein, okay? Yes, that's great, Callie. Kathy, I fully understand about you not doing boring. I should have known. Klein walks Kathy through the front door and watches her move down his beautifully landscaped front pathway. She turns and takes a picture of his house. We assume to add the security review cover story. Klein says to himself, wow, she is beautifully crazy. Jenny is sat on a chair outside of a bedroom door. She's reading her phone. There's a banging on the door closest to Jenny. A voice is calling. It's Ethel Ruby. Hey, whatever your name is, I need to see my mum and dad. Can you let them know, please? Jenny is continuing to ignore Ethel 
As a mother, Mrs. Ruby appears from the top of the stairs with a tray in her hands. Hi, Jenny, says Mrs. Ruby. You must be tired sitting there all night. Did you manage to get into the kitchen for some food? Jenny smiles at Mrs. Ruby. Yes, I did, thank you. I can tell you that your fridge contents are nothing like mine. Shall I open the door for you? Mrs. Ruby looks at the door, smiles. Hey, my interior designer would go crazy if she saw that ugly padlock. But it suits, I guess. And yes, please unlock it. How's she been? A voice inside the padlocked room shouts. How the fuck would you be after being violently kidnapped, locked up, and I hear about to be sent abroad? Jenny unlocks the padlock on the outside of the door and gently opens it, letting Mrs. Ruby in. Jenny looks... You be okay, Mrs. Ruby? Yes, we'll be fine. We're off to the airport at 11. I'm going with her until she gets to the center. It looks beautiful, so I might stay on for a few days. Thank you so much. I'm sure this is all gonna be fine now. No sign of that horrible man, I hope. It's been very comforting to have you people around all night. Mrs. Ruby enters the room with the tray in her hand. Jenny closes the door after them. That same morning, Trevor is laying in bed with Susan, the detective. He's looking at her cell phone and chatting with her. Shit, your phone is loaded with crap. Do you never clean it up or update it? Susan laughs. Duh, how would I do that, clever boy? Don't worry, I've done it now. You might exactly be reachable now. You need to dump the provider. It's the most fucked up service. By the way, what's happening with that suicide murder thing you were tied up in? Susan, as she swings out of bed, well, I'll tell you this, sexism is alive and well in your local serve and protect mob. I've been moved off that onto a domestic murder inquiry. I'm not sure if I want to stay involved anyway. Trevor's still playing with her phone. I thought you were a limelight girl. This would help you get up and through the police glass ceiling. Well, if this fucked up investigation is anything to go on, I'm better off looking for domestic abusers who hate. This suicide is more like a double murder to me. And those who went to the scene didn't like my theory. They're calling it a suicide murder, which I don't think it is. But the on-call guys, me included, got dumped off the case as soon as the department heavy mob showed up. I personally think senior people have a good idea of who killed these and why. So I must think they're heading towards some sort of cover-up. Now who the fuck does the police department do that for? The mind boggles. Trevor responds, boggles is right. But I won't get dragged into this bay, will I? A cover-up never works. Eventually, somebody get, goes off script. No, sweetie, you're safe. If you keep servicing me in the way that I've become accustomed to. 
Okay, do you need more payback now? Offers Trevor. Trevor grabs Susan and drags her back down onto the bed. He laughs, she giggles. coffee board of directors are sat in the boardroom. It's a 13-person board of well-heeled men and women. Every one of them are holding up their hands in agreement to a proposal the CEO has just made. Klein adds, thank you ladies and gentlemen. This forward-looking development is only fitting given our aim of global growth. It's important to have local knowledge blended into our experienced board. As we expand, I aim to find local designates to help guide us through the peculiarities and cultures of the people we want to buy our coffee. We hope to have Ms. Eustonoff here in a week or so, then we can close that first process. I'm sure she will want to meet all of you. With that, the board rises and they slowly depart. Klein shakes hands with him as they leave until he spots Johnson, the security guy, standing outside in the corridor. Klein goes out, grabs Johnson and propels him into an office. Kathy and Vlad are in a closed office next door to the boardroom watching a CCTV feed from the boardroom. Once the vote is passed, Vlad grabs his phone and taps in a text message in Russian. Hi guys, just to let you know, we miss you all. We're sorry for the miscommunications, but things are going to be fine from now on. Vlad hangs up, looks at Kathy and beams. see Mrs. Ruby and Ethel moving through the departure lounge of the airport. A TV screen has a headline running across it in the departure area. Murder-suicide confirmed by anonymous sources close to the investigation. But Detective Susan is walking an angry-looking man out of a bar downtown and pushing him into a cruiser. Mr. Borg, the shop manager, is now being given his notice in his small store office. He looks most angry. Kathy's father is seen asleep on a park bench across from the Nemesis office. Jody is walking into a five-star hotel past the reception, filled with people she knows. With a few nods and smiles and winks, Jody steps into an elevator. The doors close. Jody exits the elevator upstairs and moves swiftly along the corridor and knocks quietly. The door opens and Jody slips inside. Dangerous Dave is stood in the middle of the room holding a can of Guinness in one hand and a glass of what looks like champagne in the other. His beard and hair are wet. He's wearing just a hotel towel. Dave is deploying his best charismatic grin. Dave tries to speak first. 
Imagine meeting Jodie's very angry and so she's immune to Dave's charisma. Did you kill that fucking guy, Dave? Right after we left? I caught a glimpse of your boys going into the alleyway as we pulled away. Again, did you fucking kill him? We haven't seen hide and hair of him. He hasn't surfaced. Based on the past activity of your guys, did you or did you not hurt him? Babe, stop, slow down. He's not dead, far from it. We suggested that things would be much better out west. I'm doing you a favour. Those oil workers out there love their hookers. He even accepted our offer of a ride to the airport. He was very grateful, and you should be too. You needed him closed off. You asked us, we did it. Jodie is relaxing a little bit. She slides out of her top coat and grabs the champagne. Don't fucking lie to me, you bear. Me? Lie? Never. Now, for that favour, I need some payback. Babysitting you newbies was fun, but this will be even more fun. Dave drops his tail. Jody glances down. Hey, is that thing shrunk? I'm sure it was bigger before. Or was that the other guy I met with? Dave grabs Jody, throws her over his shoulder, and with three strides he hurls her onto the king-side bed. Kathy is in the ops room staring at the board. Felix is typing, but glancing nervously at Kathy. This looks manageable, Felix. The normal to work crunch in the morning, but we will survive that. I guess as long as there's no wobblers, right? Felix responds, boss, please toddle off home. I got it. Peter is in on midnights and he has Jenny riding along for more training. Now boss, please fuck off. You're making me nervous. We next see Kathy downstairs, stood waiting for a taxi she's ordered. As the taxi van pulls up, she notices a frail-looking figure stood across the street from her on the edge of the park. The taxi pulls away, but Kathy is still standing on the sidewalk. She's looking across at her deadbeat dad. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for episode four. Kathy continues to struggle with her dad. The cardinal gets embroiled in controversy. The local police start a harassment campaign against Nemesis and a prominent Canadian client gets threatened by a drug cartel. Plus the government spy agency needs a helping hand.